This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, you got her, dude. She's down. Let's go. Dude, I just shot a deer of a lifetime. Freaking smoke team. One with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. All Obsession Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to another Fall Obsession Podcast episode. I am Sam with Fall Obsession, your podcast host. Thank you guys for tuning in to another week's episode. This is an exciting episode for me, one that uh, a topic at least that I'm pretty passionate about, and that is pronghorn hunting. This is your kind of your pronghorn season pump up, if you will. Um, We are at the beginning starting to kick off pronghorn seasons across the country. It's an exciting time, so hopefully you guys are listening to this episode, either packing up your gear, getting ready to head out there, or you're driving out there right now um, to start your hunt, or maybe you're on your way back, either way. We hope that we're catching you guys at the right time with this one. I'm on here with our marketing manager and a good friend of mine, Mr. Drew Tordick. Drew, welcome back, buddy. Hey, thanks, Sam. It's good to be here. Always good to be on. Oh, yeah. Always a good time, and I know we've had some some good experiences in the past pronghorn hunting together, so I figured it'd be a good thing for you and I to jump on here and talk about a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, Absolutely. So before we get into everything, guys, I want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at Elite Archery. Elite's got a pretty sweet lineup for their uh, 2022 year, and we're looking forward to getting that our, in our hands. So if you guys haven't shot an Elite bow yet or taken the Elite Shootability Challenge at your local archery dealer, I encourage you guys to go do so. Um, and also check them out at EliteArchery.com and the full lineup of everything that they have to offer there. Um, Elite Larry McCoy from Elite specifically told us that they just want to be in the conversation. They're confident enough that they're, the way their bows perform and feel in your hand when you actually go to shoot one will do the rest and make the decision easy for you. So at least doing the due diligence of going to your local dealer and, and shoot one a day. I know I've been enjoying my cure from last year. Looking forward to having a new one in my hand this year. And I think Drew's in a similar boat too with that, uh, with that cure from last year. So, Yeah, that cure was a that's a real fun bow to shoot, you know, especially having soldier or shoulder injuries. It was, uh, it's real nice to have that adjustability, being able to start down at a real low draw weight and adjust my draw length actually constantly as I've been changing my form and getting better. For sure. Very, very versatile bow. Um, it offers a lot for a lot of different archers at, um, different, stages in their uh, experience levels and um, as drew mentioned also if you are if you're nursing a previous injury or something like that it's a good bow to get back in the swing of things with so all as i say go check out elite archery 
All right, man. So I kind of wanted, I thought we might kick off this week's conversation, kind of going to keep it casual this week, but uh, I thought a good thing to start it off with would be talking about some, some previous experiences that we've had out there pronghorn hunting. Um, I know this, we've had some previous episodes on our podcast. Um, it's been a while, but we have talked about pronghorn hunting and maybe even some of these hunts specifically, but um, it's good to have a fresh one out there and uh, kind of recap on some stuff again, in my opinion. So I know last year you had uh, a good hunt with one of your buddies, who I believe is also named Sam, not to be confused with me, but uh, <laughs> I, I, if if I'm remembering correctly, y'all had a pretty good pretty good time out there in Montana last year. Yeah, uh, I was actually with um, you know Brian Raddick and Sam Burroughs. Uh, it was both of their first antelope hunts. Uh, it was rifle hunt and a little bit later in the season, um, just due to some timing and scheduling issues, we couldn't get out there for opener. Uh, and, you know, by that time, the antelope had kind of seen that trick before and uh, really had to work it getting in close on them. Um, got in, took a few shots, um, were successful on getting Sam, his first antelope. Uh, weren't able to get Brian his first antelope, but, you know, give him some good opportunities. Um just like i said difficulty on the skittish antelope at that time of year yeah for sure yeah you get into those that later season hunt um especially out there on the on the blm public land and everything that it can prove pretty difficult i know when we went up there during archery season the year prior to that um it was it was a little bit different you know there they hadn't really been pressured by the the rifle hunters yet and that uh at least made the opportunities plentiful we just had trouble that year kind of closing the distance with as flat as it was out there yeah yeah even then though uh you know during the archery season we were able to get in you know multiple times on multiple different bucks under 100 yards um that that just didn't happen for us at all in the archery season you know that one shot that we've got on video where sam killed his buck um it was in that spot that you and I've driven by that I kind of mentioned they're always down in the slow spot. And so we parked and walked in on it and had them crawl up to the rim. And sure enough, they were right down in the bush below the rim where we kind of expected them to be. And he got a good shot on them. So, you know, I don't want to say that was luck, but it, it was the right place at the right time kind of situation there. Um, but other than that, you know, it was, it was difficult for us to get within 250 yards of any of the antelope. They'd, you know, seen trucks driving around. They knew that those meant danger, so they'd see you driving and take off running. And so even just getting in close to them was a real challenge and really had to use the terrain to our advantage to get in close. Yeah, that's for sure. I know I know. in 20, what was it, 2019 when we were out there, at, at least that early in the year, they didn't seem that skittish with with the truck. But one one in particular, I think it was my first stalk of of that trip, and it's on video um, where we actually I think you spotted them kind of out in this little flat area, or it was kind of down in a bowl. Honestly, is what it seemed like. But we actually drove the truck. They were just looking at the truck, so we actually drove past them and around them to get the wind in our favor, and then tried to stalk back. And we ended up getting within, I think, I think you ranged 70 yards on that buck for me is what it ended up being. But I had a big sagebrush in between me and him. So the shot never happened, but that was a pretty exciting way to start that trip, at least with the first stalk, you know, being able to get in on him like that. Unfortunately, it was just uh, the closest we got the entire week. So, <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's kind of a tip for people too, is if you see those antelope walking, they're pretty determined and you know, they cover a lot of ground really quick. So if you can get ahead of them and not scare them in the process um, and get set up, set up using terrain and using the wind to your advantage, uh, that can be pretty productive if you have them kind of pinpointed as to a general area that they're heading. Absolutely. Another probably, and that I mentioned that one as being my most successful stock, but our good friend Chester Barnes was also up there with us. So there were three of us um, in pronghorn camp that week. And he had probably the, the greatest opportunity at, at one. And I'll talk about that one a little bit just from a tactic standpoint. Uh, 
basically we're driving it was pretty early in the day as i recall and we were driving and man you're i've said it before i'll say it again you know you're you're the expert out there you're you're kind of acting as our guide if you will because you you've hunted them before we were both pretty novice still at the point and, and not that i'm still not at this point but um all as to say you pretty much bolted out of that truck and said we need to go right now and took that fan decoy up on top of that hill and next thing you know we had two two bucks that were traveling together coming up that hill to check out that fan decoy and again this is all on video but got them within i think it was 41 42 yards something like that and chester actually got a shot unfortunately those guys i mean you couldn't get him to stop so he had to take a shot while they were walking and unfortunately it wasn't a good shot so um it was uh ended up being a a miss but this is the only shot of the week and definitely from a tactic standpoint is really interesting because that was the first time we'd ever really seen that fan decoy um pay off after several times trying it yeah that that experience and i don't know if we caught the initial part of it on film but it's kind of that same thing you know driving along using the terrain to your advantage and um just haven't been in that area before i knew that there was this bench and this hill that we could get behind and as we saw those antelope covering some ground i knew that we could really use that hill to get behind us or get behind it and close the distance on those antelope um and then yeah like you said using that that montana decoy their antelope uh is pretty awesome um just pulling it off the stand and using just the the spring flag part and um, it's pretty lightweight, pretty maneuverable. And, you know, that day it, it worked. It's, you know, crest over the top of the hill. And rather than seeing three guys, um, they see an antelope, which is something that they're used to seeing on the hill and, you know, being curious creatures and not being spooked at all because they didn't see us beforehand. It was it was pretty easy to get them to come in and at least check it out. Um, you know, that doesn't happen all the time. We've, we, we can prove that, but, uh, <laughs> I, I'd say you have somewhat of success with it. Um, you know, especially gun hunting, it'll get you under a hundred yards pretty consistently. Um, just having them come in and check it out. Uh, archery hunting, it's a little more difficult. Uh, you got to kind of, sneak up on them a little bit more close that gap and really get in closer before you sort of show yourself um granted antelope have amazing eyesight so when i'm talking sneak up on them i'm talking use the terrain and the sagebrush and whatever you can to stay completely out of the sight line and just kind of mark where they're at and work in and slowly get up on them yeah absolutely the like you said the their eyesight is very keen but they're they're also curious curious creatures and that can be kind of their their fault if you will and that's at times the angle that you got to play you know with the fan decoy they're curious about it they see it as an antelope so they're going to come up there and they're going to check it out they're going to try to see what's going on you know there there's the there's the myth and i mean i I don't know if it's a works every time type deal but um you know if you just stand still and wave a white sock in the air or something you know they're curious curious enough to to come out there and check it out i've never tried that don't know if i will but um at least to emphasize on their curiosity you know that that's the kind of creature that they are so sometimes if you can play that angle you can but drew's right if you're just trying to to walk up on one or or put a stalk out in the open it's going to be very difficult especially if you're in a group like us and you have multiple guys you know that that's obviously a lot harder to hide than just one or even two you know we had three up there that year and and that uh that proved a little difficult for us a couple of times so yeah i wish somebody would have gotten a picture from behind us had three big guys tucked behind a a little antelope (laughs) flag trying to stay hidden was pretty funny well that one time we pulled it off so (laughs) yeah yeah definitely so you you touched on the you know the fan decoy and it being a a pretty strong advantage for rifle hunting you know oftentimes being able to get you within 100 yards and then obviously a little bit more challenging for, for bow hunting but there's a lot of differences, obviously, like with any type of hunting, between the the rifle hunting and the bow hunting side of chasing pronghorn. Um, the 
obviously with the rifle you can reach out there and and touch something you have other other things you got to take into account at times with you know your your wind speed depending on how long your shot is and, and other stuff like that i'm not a huge gun guy so uh, forgive me if i'm speaking in more vague terms i'm a bow guy but obviously with with archery spot and stalk is the most challenging way because you got to get within your comfortable bow range um, and then also a, a big recommendation that i have is when you're going out there is if it's early enough in the year if it's warm enough to take advantage of those water holes because that can be huge a huge advantage for bow hunters in the early season bow hunting pronghorn yeah that was going to be a, a big topic for me this year especially uh you know everybody's kind of suffering from drought and lack of water and you know that's no no different in the west um they've been suffering from you know lack of water and wildfires and all sorts of issues so the key is going to be like every year early season for those guys out archery hunting finding water but this year especially being able to actually locate water i know a lot of the water holes are dried up um you know irrigation ponds and cattle ponds that ranchers have dug are dried up and you know, the wells that are pumping are still pumping water fortunately for the cattle and the farmers but you know those natural spots that are just kind of oasis in some of that barren uh sagebrush flats those may or may not be there this year so some people may be finding some different places to hunt than normal absolutely yeah it 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 definitely shows you know um when and you can tell when the weather when the weather turns you know how your tactics have to change because we experienced that up there where i think both years where um it started out cold wet even snowing for us in the first few days and then when it trans we had we were pretty much left to do spot and stalk and then when it transitioned to warmer sunnier temperatures we we made an effort at least to transition to to waterhole hunting and the first year 2018 it obviously paid off because my first sit on a waterhole is when i shot the one and only pronghorn that i've ever killed um and so that was a, a really really awesome hunt it happened really fast um but it's uh it's on our youtube channel a really cool hunt that you guys can go and watch i don't think you'll ever see me have a reaction after shooting an animal like that again i was pretty pretty shook up by that in, in a good way but uh definitely want to go check out waterhole hunting I would encourage guys if they're if they're going out there and they're allowed to wherever their respective areas they're hunting at. And one thing that we learned in 2019 is take at least a one trail cam with you when you when you go out there. Even if you're primarily going to hunt spot and stalk, if you have a water hole you're going to be set up on and be throwing a blind up on, uh, if you have an extra trail cam, even a cheap one that you don't really care a whole lot about, and you can throw it up on that water hole. That can help give you an advantage because I know in 2019 when we decided to set up on that one water hole that we did, um, we saw a bunch of tracks and everything around, but we had no idea exactly what direction they were frequently coming from, what they, you know, what they were if we even had any shooter bucks, or, um, you know, if even if they were coming in the daytime, you know, we we didn't really have a whole lot to go off of other than just they're here at some point. And if we had had a trail cam to throw up at least a few days prior to us actually sitting there, we might have had a little bit more to go off of and might have been able to, to change our plan accordingly if if needed. So that's a recommendation yeah. that I would make for sure. I'd say, I'd say that's a great recommendation. Just make sure you read your local regulations. Yeah. Uh, I know at least in Montana, uh, game cams are not allowed during the season. So you could run game cams up to uh, and – until the first day of the season or before the first day of the season. But once that season's open, you're not allowed to have game cams up anymore. Just yeah. kind of that fair chase uh, mentality. So, yeah. Well, I'll, be aware. Yeah, <laughs> obviously be aware and follow your local guidelines if, if, if you're able to. But, again, if you are able to and your state or county, whatever it is, allows you to scout in that sort of way, um, definitely take advantage of that. It's uh, it's something that could give you a, a strong edge for sure. Yeah, yeah. We were in a tricky spot too. Uh, you know, when we were out there trying to look at the sand and trying to remember, or look up weather reports, figuring out when the last time it rained there and when the last time the dirt would have been wet to leave tracks and how frequently we thought they were visiting. So, you know, we were trying to put our best estimates into it, and it unfortunately didn't pay off. But yeah. It wasn't for lack of trying. Yeah, absolutely. 
The other thing that I'd like to touch on in regards to preparation too, and I know we're kind of bouncing all over the place and talking about a bunch of stuff, but just kind of a casual conversation. One thing with preparation, especially if you're bow hunting, if 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 you are going to truly do the the spot and stock tactic, you've got to have not only a, a bow and equipment that are capable of shooting out to longer distances, but you yourself as a shooter need to be well versed and experienced and and practiced up in shooting. Uh, those longer distances and different people at different ranges that they're comfortable with for some it may just be 60 70 yards I know 2019 when I went up there I had practiced all summer long and I was I was ready to fling one at 100 if I had the chance and honestly I think that's a, a good spot to be if again if you're gonna do a true spot and stock hunt and when I talk about being prepared to fling one at 100 um, I'm talking about a softball size group at that distance uh, a lot of guys say you know the the paper pie plate or or the 10 inch plate whatever that is man with, with these speed goats it it seems to me that there's these are tough animals and there's a lot of room for error and the last thing you want to be doing is spend a whole bunch of time up there blood trailing uh a speed goat for miles we when true and i've been there and done that um it, it it's not it's not the funnest thing in the world so the smaller group the better obviously and again that know your limits know your distance if it's 100 then outstanding if it's if it's 80 90 then that's your limit um and, and you might be tempted to take a shot longer than that i know i was in one particular stock where i came up a uh little drop off they were bedded on this little flat area and I the shooter goat that we were going after fortunately was the closest bedded to me out of the group and I was able to creep up and I was I think when he stood up I ranged him at 127 and he never saw me he just turned and just it was time to leave he just turned and started walking away but when I ranged him at 127 and he was standing there for a split second it was day four out of five and i was very seriously considering flinging one at 127 and and even to this day you know there's that little bit of little bit of doubt or questioning in your mind on well what if i had flung one you know what would have actually happened but thankfully the smarter bow hunter in me got the better i had practiced out to 100 i was comfortable out to 100 i was not um well experienced enough out to that 120 130 yard mark um, which for archery is just it, it truly is a crazy distance it i know there's plenty of guys that do it but um, other than flinging one that far for fun i had never practiced at that distance so this thankfully the smarter archer in me got the better of me and i did not take that shot i do wonder obviously what would have happened if i did but um that's not the time to find out so even though it could have been one for all i know it it wasn't and i think it was the right call you got to be smart about that kind of stuff yeah definitely that's the last thing anybody wants to do is you know take a bad shot or even a questionable shot um just trying to push it uh you know we as hunters kind of owe it to ourselves and to the animal to you know really like like you demonstrated there really know when to to not throw that arrow or not take that shot absolutely and and another thing while we're talking about long distance on on the rifle side of things and this is just a little tip a little nugget that i actually picked up listening to another podcast the other day they had a guy and i think they were talking about it was either mule deer or pronghorn hunting i don't remember which one but they were talking about you know these long super long 500 plus yard crazy shots that these guys take out west and these guys hunt out west all the time they're they're no no stranger to these super long distance shots um and and they're very good at it but they were even talking about how when they fling a bullet out there at 500 plus you know obviously your your target is still enough it's not going anywhere that you have time to set up on it and focus to make a shot like that they were saying that they will set up with their rifle at least without a round chambered and they will dry fire their rifle set up on the animal for one shot and then they will chamber around and actually take the shot and their reasoning behind that was was to make sure that they're settled that they're good and to try and eliminate any shot anxiety 
that they possibly can. And I'd never heard that before. And, and maybe you guys have, maybe you guys have even listened to that podcast, but, um, that, that was really interesting for me. I never thought about that from a rifle standpoint of actually when you're setting up on an animal, take a shot, taking that dry fire shot first to be sure that you're comfortable. I thought that was a really interesting tactic. Yeah. That's something that comes from the, those long range shooting guys. Uh, definitely an interesting tactic. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see people dry fire their gun on accident sometimes, um, you know, whether they forgot to load it or whether it's, you know, they're doing hand loads and forgot to put powder in or whatever the case may be that, you know, the round doesn't go off. And sometimes the amount that people flinch, it, it's, it's surprising to watch people shoot like that. And so I think that's, that's probably good practice for anybody who's going to shoot long distance you know, pull the trigger once and make sure your mechanics are right first before you pull the trigger on a live bullet. Absolutely. Another thing to talk about too, and again, I don't, my intention is not to jump all over the place, even though that's kind of just how our conversation is going. But, um, uh, another thing to touch on is just spending the time out there when, when you're pronghorn hunting all day, every day, because, um, it, and I know this wasn't even something that we practiced all the time when we were out there in 2019, but, um, especially if the weather's cooler, man, an opportunity can happen at any point during, during the day. Um, and you're, you're not going to, obviously not going to kill one sitting at camp. It can be exhausting, especially if you're spotting stalking, being out there all day long. And, and you don't want to, especially if you have a more limited area to hunt, you don't want to put any unnecessary pressure on them. But, Man, being out there as much as you possibly can, putting in as much time as you can out there, um, it is going to obviously give you the the most chance at coming home successful. Yeah, and uh, I guess we should probably be a little more clear on this. There's definitely areas where you can overhunt it. Yes. Right. You know, when we we're hunting that small ranch, there it was pretty limited to let's walk around at one time, and if they're there, they're there. We'll make a try at it, but we don't want to run them all over back and forth and get them stressed out and not hanging out. Um, I guess what you're referring to more is when we're on that BLM and it's an area that's 15 miles by 20 miles. And, you know, we've got a ton of ground to cover and multiple herds that we're going after. So, you know, you catch bucks wandering between herds and all sorts of things happen in that wide open prairie area and gives the animals time to calm down and places to hide and so yeah you can definitely spend all day in wide open spaces like that there's definitely something to take into consideration on smaller properties though absolutely yeah and exactly what you just said and then to to add to and it just it popped in my head when when you mentioned and talked about different herds bucks traveling back and forth on on that larger you know uh more public hunting grounds we had that one stalk i think it was on the last day where you and i literally crawled a mile (laughs) trying to get in on a little bachelor group that were on a water hole far far away i mean we we spotted them and could tell that they were pronghorn we didn't even know if there was any shooter bucks in the group but it was just at that point the last day we were desperate and it was a move that we were going to try to make so we uh we made a made a stab at it came in came in close but it it wasn't enough unfortunately after all that (laughs) yeah it it I had cactus in my knees for weeks after that. It was definitely a fun experience, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I wish it would have worked out. It would have been a much cooler story to tell people rather than we crawled a mile through cactus fast and animals run away from us when the wind swirled. I came back to Texas and I was still pulling cactus out of my knee. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it, it was a pretty brutal stock at some, at some point, And it probably took us about what, an hour and a half or so, I think is, yeah. is what it ended up being. But uh, yeah. again, sometimes you got to play that long game. And we made a call that, you know, these guys are settled in, they're bedded, they're not going anywhere. We're, we're going to make a move. We did our best to use the terrain to our advantage. At times we had plenty of room at others. We were practically on our bellies trying to keep from being seen. And we got sub 200 yards on this group, uh, this bachelor group, but 
Um, all it took was the wind swirling a little bit, and and that was that. So, and and that just comes down to patience, you know. And again, taking a stab at an opportunity if it presents itself, and you know, the patient side of it is, you know, it might work out, it might not. And if it doesn't, then you just got to regroup and on to the next one. So, yeah. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it happens a lot quicker that you get another opportunity than you think. Um, I know during rifle season, uh, I was with Brian and Sam and it was after Sam had shot his buck and we had chased the other buck. So Brian and I were together and ended up, you know, I don't think it was the exact same gully that you and I crawled through, but it was one that was just a little bit deeper. And we must have walked through that one for pretty close to a mile and a half, um, if not further. And got up on these antelope and, you know, unfortunately they were, it was one of those cases where they were just walking the wrong way. Uh, and not a lot we could do to catch up to them. Um, we were kind of frustrated uh, kind of missed that shot and kind of wondering what we were going to do next and started walking back the long way to the truck going by that water hole that you and um you and chester had sat on yeah um and you know as we're walking up that way just before we got to that water hole we ran into a whole nother group antelope and had another shot and, and granted it was a long way um long enough that in the sage crush i was having trouble f- finding the range on it um so what ended up being a 350 400 yard shot was pretty difficult uh to make in that in those conditions so you know unfortunately we weren't able to to get brian and antelope but we had a lot of opportunities there and you know just just using the terrain some places where it looks really really flat there's actually enough just enough undulation for those animals to hide and you know those sagebrush backgrounds make it real tough to tell where it dips and where it's all flat and level yeah for sure and and i'll i'll kind of steer that into another essential that that you need out there i know we've we've talked about looking at maps and and weather reports and stuff like that while we're in the field but man uh, onyx maps uh we're, we're not associated with them in any way but that's a tool that we use for sure um, out there and it really is a must especially when hunting those, those public lands and and what brought that up was um you know from from those maps and i know even the technology within onyx is getting more more better with the topography but um even within those maps you know you try to look and, and find those those hills or those little gullies that you can again use the terrain to your advantage and sometimes sometimes they're they turn out as advertised if you will and other times you show up and it 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 doesn't look anything like it like it did on the map you know so kind of got to make the most of what you got yeah and it's surprising you know how on those big sagebrush flats how even the smallest depression uh really just holds animals and holds wildlife you know whether it's the safety of being down just that little bit of lower whether it's the little bit of shade they're getting there, the cooler temperatures or whatever it is that holds them in those spots, those, you know, those washes and those coolies and the, the whatever term you want to use for them, those are always seem to be a really good spot for finding wildlife of all sorts. For sure. So another thing to, to talk about and bring up, is, especially for those who might be experiencing uh you know, a pronghorn hunt for the first time this year. And I know that there's probably a lot of you out there because, um, this year there seem to be more people putting in than ever for, um, those non-resident tags, um, resulted in me not getting one. So, um, but I wanted to, to bring up kind of what the criteria is for a shooter buck out there. And honestly, in my opinion, I, at least from my limited experience and Drew can probably shed more light on it, but I think it, to some extent it comes down to opportunity i mean you don't want to kill obviously we want to be you know ethical hunters and we don't want to kill you know super young bucks or anything like that we want to give population time to grow and mature and everything but at at the same time you know if you have an opportunity to shoot a decent buck especially if you're doing the spot and stock route you got to take it man you 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 really do yeah and you know, finding those big bucks sometimes can be a challenge, especially if that's your, your end goal is actually looking for, I don't want to call them, you know, trophies or, you know, 
specifically targeting, you know, the Boone and Crockett's or the Pope and Young um, class antelope. But if that's your goal and if that's your mission, it's going to take covering a lot of ground and glassing a lot of animals and looking at a lot of different herds um, to really be able to start to judge that, especially if it's not something you've done. I know I struggle still with, you know, what's the difference between what would be considered a fully mature antelope, which is, you know, that's a lot easier to judge versus what what is a trophy and what's that going to score and what's that going to measure when it comes down to it. Yeah, it, it can be very tricky with with pronghorn, and I know I know one thing that guys look for is 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 the height, the 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 curls at, at the end of their horns. Obviously, the you know getting more of that that full curl on the end. But man, so many different so many pronghorn are are have different genetics and there are different ways. You don't I I, I wouldn't even put the curl in there. Me personally, as you know, you're you're say all be all criteria i know last year that the probably the biggest shooter buck that we had uh eyes on or not last year 2019 excuse me um that we had eyes on and the one that i referenced earlier where he was 127 from me and stood up and walked away he, he was in my opinion by far a mature mature goat and he had absolutely no no curls at all to his uh to his horns at all they it pretty much just went straight up on both sides and he was every bit in my opinion he would have he would have taped out 70 plus inches um but again that he he wouldn't they're different man that i guess that's what i'm getting at is is every single one's different yeah every single one's different and you know i guess a good way um a good way to judge it really so the things that they score on is the length of the horn overall um then they measure circumference at the base in two different spots so below the cutter and at the very base by the skull and then uh again above the cutter and at the the tip of the curl the peak of the curl um so you know there's things that you can look at um to to really help you judge in the field one of the things that i was told early on was if you're looking at the cutter, which is that, that front spike that goes off forward, um, and you're looking at that from the side, if they're looking forward, and you're looking at it from the profile, that that should be about, it should stick off from the main beam about as far as it would be halfway. So if you cut that main base in half, that's how far out that front cutter should stick. Um, that's really the sign of sort of a fully mature, a fully mature antelope. And then, you know, looking at and trying to base score off that then you're looking at more complex things such as you know how long is that top curl how long around are the bases actually or how wide are the bases um and how long are the bases so you're you're dealing with more specific measurements that are harder to judge but overall trying to tell a fully mature antelope is is more about you know looking for those cutters i know i I shot a young one one time that didn't have any cutters at all. And so, you know, there, there is quite a difference and a noticeable difference in, in the, both the size of the body and the, the size of the horns at that case. Um, I guess another thing that people use oftentimes to sort of tell um, when you're looking at one specific animal is the very tips of their horns will polish off and do sort of an ivory white color those really mature really you know those bigger bucks um so sometimes that can be it it can be easy and difficult to spot depending on the condition sometimes that white really glows in the spotting so scope and sometimes it's tough to see until you're right up on them um so that's another thing to look at um personally when i'm looking at them through a spotting scope and looking at them from far away i'm I'm more looking at, you know, which one is sort of the boss of the herd, which one is, you know, driving those other bucks away, is rounding up the, you know, all the the does, and which one is, which one seems to be the boss in the group. And, you know, it, it it's pretty easy, pretty often that that is, that is the biggest buck in the group. So if you're, if you are out looking, it really helps you, you know, rather than having to really study five or six different antelopes in there or five different bucks in the herd that, you know, you can really just tell by body language and behavior, which one is sort of the, the antelope in the pack and, 
spends more time looking at that one animal than trying to compare animal to animal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, again, it as you mentioned, it's, unless you're wanting to really spend a lot of time out there glassing different herds, trying to pick out your target buck, you know, especially if you're doing the spot and stalk, you kind of gotta you gotta take an opportunity when it comes to it on a decent buck. Obviously, be smart about it, and you know be ethical don't don't shoot a, a super young one but hey if you got a shot at a decent pronghorn especially if it's your, your first year hunting man i i encourage you to take it for sure um and i know yeah you, go ahead. yeah and you know what i mean honestly if you if you're archery hunting and it's your first antelope and you've never shot one i'd be happy with any antelope you shoot you know whatever size you get in close on take that opportunity um congratulate yourself for something that's really difficult to do um and then you know set set new goals and move on for the next time but you know get out and try it because spot and stock antelope hunting is one of the it can be most frustrating but also the most rewarding experiences and you know oftentimes those moments are separated by just a few minutes or a couple hours sometimes <laughs> absolutely yeah I, I know i know in 2019 i i was humbled a little bit and became a lot more aware of how fortunate I was the year before in 2018 to kill the caliber of buck that I did, um, especially as my my first one ever. And I remember I remember the day before I shot him, you and I were actually driving down a a little back road farm road and driving past a field. It was a few miles probably from the, the little the little ranch that we were hunting, and we saw this buck with a, a cutter that was it hadn't broken fully off but it was split it was kind of dangling there a little bit and uh we looked at him and we actually we got some video of him just looking at him there from the road and we made made the comment of man seeing a buck like that would be awesome that that's a that's a stud that's a shooter and the next thing we know the next day that's the buck that uh that i get a shot at we were able to tell the same one obviously by that unique cutter that he had and uh yeah I, I realized uh i knew then that i was fortunate but i realized the next year exactly how fortunate i was to kill a, a pope and young caliber pronghorn in in my <laughs> first year because <laughs> uh <laughs> that's not a that's not an easy thing to do that that kind of fell into my lap fortunately <laughs> yeah i remember we were sitting there looking at him and it was you know in the middle of a snowstorm and to absolutely terrible conditions for for bow hunting antelope uh so you and i were out you know just seeing what we could spot and seeing if we could see anything on public ground looking for other alternatives and i remember we parked and we were recording the video and just kind of making the joke of you know how come a how come they're not nervous now that we're sitting parked 40 yards away from them on the other side of the fence and how come they're not running away now and you know wouldn't it be nice if i was sitting here and they ran up the hill then the two miles back to our farm and, <laughs> sure enough the next day he came walking over the hill from that direction so man and i couldn't even believe it because i was so that day was the day that that the weather turned it warmed up and i and i was uh, i remember i think you were scouting a different piece of public so i was by myself on the ranch and i I was on my way to the ground blind and I came across a pronghorn and tried to put a, a decent buck and I tried to put a stalk on him and it took, it took forever. It was one of those that was just a super long stalk. It almost happened, but then it didn't. So I was super frustrated. It was warm. I've been out in the sun, so I was sweating at that point. And then, so I got in the ground and I got into the ground blind late and I'm thinking the whole time, like, man, this is just this is a lot harder than I thought. And I, you know, I was, I was pretty discouraged and tr- trying to find any way to motivate myself. And next I hadn't been there 20 minutes and that thing came running over the hill and I put my binoculars up and I just saw it was a shooter and got my bow ready. Like I'm ranging him and he's, as soon as he starts coming in sub a hundred, I'm realizing I'm going to get a shot at this guy. So that's when I grabbed my bow and I'd already ranged the the little trail that he was walking on when it came by the blind. It was at 40, 41 or 42. So he came walking down that trail and that's when I got a, I just got a little look at that cutter at that point. And I had that suspicion. It was the same buck, but I, I quickly put that out of my head and I was like, I got to make a good shot. 
and I made a shot. I watched him. I watched blood just pouring out of him as he's running back up the hill, and he drops down to that little valley where where we ended up finding him. And I I I don't remember what I said when I called you, but I I, I was pretty stoked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you were you were excited when you called. I can remember that much. Yeah, so that that was a pretty cool experience, and again to walk up on him and realize it was the same the same goat from the day before was just that was a that was an incredible experience. So really really cool one to put on the ground first time. Like I said, I I unfortunately set the bar high for myself. So, <laughs> but well, man, before we before we wrap it up, I know you had you came across uh, an interesting. Uh, article i guess the other day about a a guy putting an interesting twist on some pronghorn hunting that you wanted to bring up in this podcast yeah absolutely uh there is there's a guy from montana uh that has set his goal to uh persistence hunt an antelope so uh for people who aren't familiar with that his goal is to find a herd of antelope walk up to them, get them running and then run after them and continue to follow them and continue to dog them and follow them around as they run loops across the prairie and eventually tire one out enough that it will let him approach it close enough to shoot with a traditional bow. So a long bow. Wow. So this guy's name is Mike Wolf. Uh, so he's hunting out in Montana. Um, and I, I mean, there's a story that I think we're going to have to see if we can repost, but um, search for this guy's name, Mike Wolf with an E at the end. And uh, the guy's out hunting. He says, you know, the best conditions for him is if it's over 100 degrees. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, yeah. He said 80 degrees isn't quite warm enough, but, you know, if it's over 100 uh that's when it's real good to get out there and start running around and chasing down these antelopes so he's been trying it for a couple of years hasn't gotten one yet but man (laughs) i i think that a it's an interesting story uh good luck to him um but b man that that's some persistence um just knowing how fast those antelope can get away from you and how much ground they can cover that's got to be just an insane challenge that that was going to be my comment is those things are so darn fast that oh man i can't even imagine that that seems like an impossible task right there that's crazy yeah you know it's an animal that it 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 evolved to evade predators that are no longer on the landscape you know cheetahs and other things like that and being able to run 70 miles an hour and the distances they can cover in that distance that's that's pretty amazing if he's able to do that so if if he's able to do that i'd love to hear the story and i hope somebody's documenting it somewhere oh yeah for sure i don't know if you've been training for running but i think those antelope can run a little further than i'm willing to run in a hundred mile heat or hundred degree heat man i've I've been uh i've been running a lot lately you know and and doing a little dieting and trying to get myself in some better shape for, uh, for this fall and everything. But I don't think I'm up for, <laughs> I don't think I'm up for chasing pronghorn on foot like that. That's, that's a little much. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast this week and, uh, talking some pronghorn. Hope, uh, this kind of casual conversation with a few little tips, tricks, and tactics factored in there is, uh, been a, some a good listen for guys especially like i said at the beginning if guys are starting to head out there and uh maybe even listening to this on their drive to pronghorn camp so thanks for coming on yeah it was fun as always um you know unfortunately our crew kind of didn't get the lucky draw this year so we we will not be uh, posting very much antelope content this year uh so you know, anyone listening to this con or this podcast, feel free to send us your antelope tapes. We'd love to see your hunts. Yeah, absolutely. Send in your your videos, your photos, um, and we'll if, uh, if the videos are good, man, we'll be happy to to post them if you guys are interested or photos and give you guys a tag. So we'd 
we'd love to have some pronghorn content on our pages despite our team not being out there so if y'all are interested in sending your stuff over uh, feel free to share with us we'd, we'd love that so and on that note guys we appreciate y'all listening if you haven't already hit that follow and subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on we are on all the major podcast apps as well as our episodes are also published on youtube uh, and our website, fallobsession.com. Fallobsession.com is the hub for all our content, and that's where you guys can find all of our uh, video series, educational articles, gear reviews, wild game recipes, um, and a bunch more of other uh, educational hunting and outdoor content. We got it all on there. Um, shop our apparel, all of our Fall Obsession brand stuff, hats, T-shirts. We got a pretty sweet uh, American Pride, American Flag Design T-shirt with our logo incorporated in it's been our best-selling product that we've ever had up till now uh, we kind of ran originally just as a fourth of july uh, kind of exclusive uh temporary deal and uh, we've actually kept it going still to this day so you guys can still order you one that's how popular it's been so go pick you up one of those fallobsession.com slash podcast that's the webpage you guys can go to if you want to give us some feedback on our podcast we are open to uh, any and all feedback that we get you guys can uh, ask questions uh, send us topic suggestions guest suggestions or just general comments whatever um, we'd love to hear what you think about our podcast we're coming out with a new episode every single week, so uh, be sure that you guys tune in. Also, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, those are the ones you need to go like and subscribe because we're putting out new hunting and outdoor content every single day on those pages, so go check those out as well. Drew, did I miss anything, man? Uh, no, I think you covered it all pretty well. Uh, you know, I guess the only other thing I'd add is that we're always looking to talk to you awesome outdoors people um anybody with an interesting story to tell you know reach out to us we'd love to have you on the podcast um yeah come tell your story yeah and i'll obviously add to that with uh, some additional ways that you guys can contact us uh facebook or instagram messenger you guys can uh, shoot us a message uh, obviously the form on our website on our podcast page that i already mentioned or um i'll i'll even put a at, at least my email on there sam at fallobsession.com you guys can send me an email there yeah, yeah. Um, Drew at fallobsession.com. Yeah, Drew's our marketing manager also, so um, feel free to reach out to either one of us if you have any uh, any questions about uh, anything. Or like Drew said, if you, if you are somebody who's interested in coming on the podcast or you know somebody, um, or if you are even part of an organization or an outfitter in the industry and you're uh, interested in talking to us about some other opportunities, we, we'd love to have a conversation with you guys. So feel free to reach out. Drew, thanks again, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, good to be here. Talk to you soon, Sam. We'll do. We'll do it again soon. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you guys again next week for another Fall Obsession podcast episode, as always. Mm-hmm.